The world around us is changing faster than ever before. From automation, artificial intelligence, big data, geolocation, to every aspect of how we work and live. This includes data. Welcome, Welcome. to Data Welcome. Gurus Podcast. Our mission is to bring you a real-life perspective on what's happening in the industry and how successful companies and individuals in this niche navigate through the sea of change. Encouraging you to be bold, be brave, and be fearless. Let's navigate the data ecosystem together. Welcome to the Data Gurus Podcast. Oh, I'm so excited today. I have a panel of amazing women joining me today on this episode of Data Gurus. I have Erin O'Donnell, who's the Vice President of Corporate Services at Fieldwork. I have Tiffany Hayes, who's the CEO of Fuel, as well as the CEO of The Focus Room, as well as Kelly Hammock, who is the Senior Client Solutions Manager at l e Research. Welcome, ladies. Hi, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. This is a pretty high-powered group. Thank you for taking the time to be here. Thanks for having us. Yeah. So obviously there's a common thread here. Not only are we all women, but you guys are all in the qual space. And, you know, there's no mystery here in the fact that, you know, COVID has had a major impact on the qualitative space. So I'm going to start with you, Erin, and ask you, what has been the biggest impact as it relates to business as well as personal as it relates to COVID-19? Yeah, I think that's a great question. There's no idea there's been a lot of impact happening. I think there's the obvious of working from home. Um, Fieldwork has in-person qualitative research spaces, which have obviously been impacted. But I think beyond that, it's, you know, while we're solving new problems, we've always been solving problems. So with Fieldwork, and I know with Tiffany and Kelly, I'm sure you can relate to this, is you know, we've always been solving our clients' problems. We're just solving new problems right now. We're being asked new questions for us to think a different way, which in my mind is exciting to be able to work with our clients, navigate new solutions, and asking questions we've just never asked before. And I think on a personal level, it's navigating working from home and not being on an airplane. I think this time of year, normally I'd be with many of you in Brooklyn or London or Chicago, name the city. And so finding new ways to connect with colleagues in the industry, especially ones that I probably missed at conferences, but I didn't have the chance to connect to. That makes perfect sense. And how about you, Kelly? What's your perspective in terms of the biggest thing you've learned, both personally and professionally, as it relates to the impact of COVID? Professionally, we have learned that one of the big pivots we had to make was learning how to get proactive about everything that was changing within the industry and within our company. Because when everything first started a year ago, you're very much in reactive mode and you're trying to pick up the pieces and where do we go and how do we resolve these new, you know, as Aaron just stated, how do we resolve these new problems that our clients are having? And so we start working towards not being reactive to those, but starting to see similarities in ways that we can help. And we start coming up with solutions that we can apply moving forward. Instead of saying, how do we deal with this? We say, we've got the answer. This is how we're going to deal with this. Now let's move on to the next problem. And then when that comes up, you solve it too. So that's been the biggest, I would say, thing for us professionally is just 
getting out of that reactive mode and figuring out how to make it work. It's so true. I think the thing with COVID initially was you didn't know what you were managing towards. It was so uncertain. You didn't know how long it was going to be. You didn't know, like, I remember it was like, oh, it's a three-day weekend. The kids' schools closed. They'll be back in school. Well, it's a year later and we're still dealing with that uncertainty. But I do think like ultimately you start collaborating with colleagues, you start thinking about what the perspectives are and ultimately where you're going to go to. And Tiffany, you are, you know, in a little bit of a different situation, like the buck stops with you, right? right? How did you think about it from the perspective of, you know, you're running two companies, it's uncertain. What are the things that went through your mind and where did you come out ter- in terms of both professional and personal impact? Well, this works out well because I just came out of conversations at the Insights Association event around exactly this. I think the biggest thing for me as a leader was making sure that our employees had even more flexibility than we're used to giving them. Kelly had mentioned earlier when we were all talking that l e was already set up to work from home and we always have been too. But there were new challenges that as a leader, I never expected to have to face really. And setting boundaries for our teams to make sure that everybody gave each other space, that we were checking on one another's mental health. We're a fairly small organization of about 25 full-time employees. So it was new to all of us. And we all had to become very aware of the new challenges that people were dealing with at home. Otherwise, in terms of the actual business itself, As we all know, we're not a very easily changed industry. Online research was still something that quite a few clients would push back on. They really preferred to be in person. There were still plenty of moderators, believe it or not, that had never used an online qualitative platform. And we work on a global scale. Most of our projects have a global perspective to them. So having to manage clients across the globe and making sure that they were able to get what they needed in an online world that they weren't used to was one of our biggest challenges. But 40% of our work was already online. Yeah, okay. So we were able to be trusted to assist them in getting what they needed in the online realm. You already had a template. You had kind of a workflow already. Yes, growing up at 2020 Research and in Qualboards, which was the first online platform, that was out there gave us a good head start because that's my background where I came from and certainly helped us out. And so Kelly, what do you think, like give us a perspective of what clients were saying during this time where they couldn't see consumers or respondents in person. What was the ache or the pain? Like give us some context of how clients felt about not being able to do in-person research. You know, to be honest, some of them got a little quiet and they kept postponing and postponing. And, you know, we all thought this would be over by May. And so they think the research is coming back. Well, eventually you do have to pivot. You do have to realize we're in a new world right now. We're in a new reality. So, you know, we just sort of talked to them about what the virtual facility options would be to do a Zoom meeting or a Teams meeting. We had some clients that we're working with that have really 
really adapted to this methodology of remotely moderating. We still have people coming into the facility and participating, but the moderator isn't actually in the room. So we have to train staff in order to make sure that they are able to help the client and be essentially their hands on the ground who can do the reset. So there's been a lot of, it's just been so wildly different on how we're helping our clients in all these various ways and getting them to accept that doing a Zoom focus group really can be as valuable as being face-to-face and in-person. It's a little bit of a double-edged sword, right? Because you think about the future, like you've kind of said, okay, look, this can work for now. You're on Zoom. You can even, you know, look at the respondents while they're doing activities and tasks and not sell in, but make it a workable solution. But when we go back into in-person, Tiffany, do you fear that clients will say, no, I like the other option. I'm fine with Zoom. I'm good. I think that this is going to be the breaking point in our industry where clients realize that they can do both. And it really is going to be now that the pain point has been pushed. I do think we're going to see a significant, I don't want to say significant, we will see a reduction in in in-person research. And I think that we, even though we might not like it, I think all of us on this can agree that we are going to see some permanent reduction for in-person research. I don't know what that percentage is yet. If I had to take a stab at it, I'd say 30 to 40% reduction. But I also think we have a very resilient industry in general, and it's not the only way that you can pivot and do research. You can pivot and do it online. And I think everybody on this podcast has done that quite well. And I just think that it really is a transition. It's not going away. We all know in-person is not going away. There's so much value in it. There's so much need for it, but there will be a change, yes. And so Aaron, what's Fieldwork doing? What, give us an idea of how they pivoted. What other solutions have they integrated into the mix? Yeah, absolutely. I We've really had the chance to really find the right solution for our clients, similar to what Kelly and Tiffany were saying about online. It's not a replacement for in-person, but clients are getting different things from online. Clients can access respondents that may not have been close to a facility, and that's a great solution for them, but it's not the only solution. And so I think clients are really thinking critically about what the goals of their research are and deciding what they need, because there is some research it can't happen remotely. Even taste tests, as much as we can Postmates or Grubhub some food, it's not always what the client needs. So taste tests, usability testing, when there's really sensitive information, um, being in a facility, even if the clients aren't there, is really important. Similar to Kelly, we've done some of that hybrid approach, and we see more clients interested in it. I will say our conversations with clients are becoming more actionable in the past couple of months. I think In the beginning, it felt really far off and a lot of clients just put the pause button on everything. We just didn't realize the impact it was going to have. But I'm sure every one of us, I mean, does anybody know where their travel toothpaste is right now? (laughs) Like, I don't. And so finding those things where I used to, like, that used to be my job kit was packed to ready to go. So um, we're seeing hybrid. You know, for us, it's always been about the customized approach based on what our client needs. And I think now more than ever, it's working with them on that the beginning part of a project to manage expectations because it's so important from the entire process, especially when we're talking with respondents, for them to know what's expected of them. Are they expected to be 
in a quiet place in their home? Where do they need to do they need to go to Zoom? Is it another platform? When they come into our facility, is there a mask mandate? Who else is going to be in the room? How many people are going to be in the bathroom at once? So there's a lot more conversations like that um, that I think we're involved in with our clients in ways we may not have been before. So when you guys think about the future, right, and you're planning, you know, different solutions, obviously you need to generate revenue to grow the business, to sustain the business. Where are you seeing revenue streams come from as a result of potentially a loss or a decline in in-person research? Tiffany, I'll ask you that. Yeah, you know, I was going to add on to what Aaron said, but it also answers this. Understanding clients' objectives very clearly and helping them figure out how to get what they need out of the research. In some ways, we've gone back to 20 years ago where we're having to do in-home product placements, right? How long has it been since you've dropped stuff off at people's houses? And I hear of facilities all across the country right now dropping stuff off at people's houses or having like an opening in their parking lot, you know, a drive-through in their parking lots. I just feel like people are really being flexible right now who are in the qualitative research space. We're helping clients figure out how to get things done. That's never going to go away. And that in itself produces revenue. So it really is, no matter, be it here or anywhere else in the world, figuring out what's possible in that country and making sure that we're able to get the clients what they need despite how we do it. In some ways we're going backwards, in some ways we're going forwards. You know, people are having to deal with technologies they've never worked in before, but they're also having to do some pretty old school stuff that we haven't seen done in years. And if I recall earlier in our prep call, you guys were talking about just making sure that you knew every tool that was available and how to master that tool. So when the clients came to you and they were asking for a specific need or objective of research, your tool set was already curated. You knew exactly what to use, when you were going to use it, and ultimately you were the conduit to that solution. Yeah, I think about streaming services in our facilities. And before it was you were streaming out to clients who may have been remote and couldn't travel for research. Now I think all of us are seeing streaming clients in who are moderating the group and can't use it. It wasn't how we used the technology previously, but the technology is there. And so I think with every element that we're using, it's forcing us to really think about what, how much you can push that technology and how many uses it has beyond what we typically use it for. Are you worried that respondents, people, are scared to come back into facilities? I would love to jump in on this because Eleni actually conducted research last week to gauge the comfort level of participants, which, you know, you can, anyone can go and find it on our website, should they be interested in finding that data. But what we did was we produced a video where our CEO is talking about some of the things we've done in facility to increase the comfort level and to make it feel like a safe experience. So initially we sent out a quant survey to our panel members and said, what are your comfort levels? Asked them a series of questions about what it would take. Then we sent them the video we created with our CEO talking about those safe practices we're implementing. We did a second survey to the same 
group of people. And we were seeing that, you know, a solid number, I think it was 80% or more, were actually interested in coming into the facility. You know, some people, of course, are hesitant and didn't want to get out there yet. But, you know, we've got research on it that said that people were pretty comfortable and the comfort level did increase after they saw some of the procedures we had taken and the steps we had done to make our facilities feel like a safe space when it comes to putting in plexiglass dividers or hands-free door openers, virtual incentives, all these things made people feel more secure. That's amazing. And did you see any difference by geography or you couldn't cut it that way? I was just curious. Like, I think it depends on the market, you know, because everything has been so state level and locally governed. So, you know, Ohio maybe goes into the red or the purple and we have to shut down that market. Whereas another market, you know, Walnut Creek out in California, which is outside of San Francisco, very stringent requirements. And we couldn't even open that office for a long time. So I think that it was across the board. I mean, you had offices that were ready to go. There were no restrictions. And then you had places like Denver where they said no more than 10 people in your entire facility, no matter how many rooms or square feet you have. Wow. Teams are in flux, but you still have to get your research in field. Partnership with Paradigm Sample means you get our expert focus on every detail of your project. We have access to over 1 million consumers and many business professionals who are eager to voice their opinions and participate in traditional and non-traditional online studies, whether it comes to sampling, programming and hosting services or consultation. We are agile and quick to meet your needs. Visit ParadigmSample.com today. And I don't even know if I'll put this in the podcast, but I'm curious, can you charge more right now for in person? We have not been. Okay. All right. I think it's actually kind of the opposite. We've done a few in-person projects, some in our clients' offices, interestingly enough, where we are having quite a few clients who have set up their own little safe spaces that are saying, hey, you know, we need XYZ at our office this week. But, and I know Aaron will speak to this too. Aaron did a Quirks engagement yesterday at their international conference. It was really good, where she had three moderators also speaking about what their experiences were. And my takeaways from that, again, thank you, Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> where everyone is having to pay more incentives. I don't know that we have to as much as it is that we want to. We don't just want respondents to feel safe and we aren't just going, you know, above and beyond the safety requirements expected by the CDC, but we also want them to feel appreciated. I think respondent appreciation is going to be hugely important throughout all of this. The other thing that I learned from yesterday is that moderators kind of are setting their own rules too. So the facilities may, I'll give an example, and I don't know what the situation was with this one specifically, Erin, but I was surprised to hear that one of the specific people on this panel was required, and it may be a taste test, I don't know, but they were requiring gloves before the people entered the room. So it wasn't just wearing masks, they wanted everybody wearing gloves too. Now, since that happened, I've asked around to other people, and definitely there are some moderators that are wanting people to wear gloves. Now, I don't know if you're 
facilities are requiring that, but we're not telling facilities that they have to require that when we hire them. I know that much. So I do think that it's not only understanding and setting the expectations on the respondent level from the facility, but it's also making sure that they understand it from the moderator's perspective, which adds a whole nother dimension to things. Because if a moderator is going in person, they have to feel safe too. I think to add that, Tiffany, and thank you. I thought the panel was wonderful. It was so fun talking to the moderators, and I can't wait till we can do it all in person one of these days. But I think it really comes down to that consultative approach that we are all talking about from the beginning. I know in the beginning of the pandemic, I mean, nobody knew the right thing to do. So, you know, you had people asking about hazmat suits and all sorts of stuff. We just didn't know the right thing to do. And so it's from a facility perspective, I think it's our role to educate and work with the client to find their right solution because it has not suit we know now it's unnecessary and i think it's going to take away from the research maybe there's a situation you need it in but for us it's really important to be consultative and in all of our facilities our teams are locally based so they know what's going on locally they're living in denver and they know what the regulations are and where people's comfort level is and kelly we've seen Similarly, really high respondent engagement, and not just engagement, but our show rates. Our show rates right now, I am blown away, and I think that's across the board. We just had a project in New York City. It's been going the end of this week into next week. We've had perfect show rates, and we've just seen really high engagement. So I think when people make the choice um, to come out, they're following through with it. They're also they're making the, an informed decision. And they're not just told they're going to come to a place and do a thing. They're told exactly what the experience is going to be like so they feel confident in it. And then I'll take it one step further that we feel confident that they're actually reading our instructions. We had some respondents that, you know, we have a release form they sign. And some of them, excuse me, had an exposure to COVID. And they called us and said, I can't come into the facility. I have this exposure. And so it makes us feel confident that they're reading, they're listening to us, and they're respecting the entire process. And see, I can say that that's a good thing that's happened. Like all of us are going and doing hands-free, like expectation paperwork before people arrive at facilities. So they already know what's going to be expected of them from the facility standpoint. Really, there can't be that much more required from a moderator. You know, in speaking to the moderators yesterday that were on that panel, one of the questions that I had, because I'm not in the room, I don't know what happens, but what happens when someone isn't following the safety protocols? And basically, it's not that much different than when somebody's interrupting a group in any other way. You know, moderators are always put in the position where they have to be a bit uncomfortable and ask somebody to do something in the midst of a group. The good news is most people want to be safe, right? No one's out there trying to get COVID. So most people want to be safe, but it was interesting to hear them talk to at least answer that question. Have they had to deal with it? And they have and how they went about handling that situation. And mostly it was stuff like we're seeing at grocery stores and anywhere else where somebody's allowing their mask to fall below their nose and they're having to stop the group and say, hey, pick that up, you know, or their mask doesn't fit correctly and they're carrying masks with them into the rooms. And when they notice that someone's mask is falling too much, they make them go and switch their mask. You know, what's interesting because I live more on the quant side for my career. And when I hear you guys talk, I just realize how much care you take 
of the participants in the research. Like that is hugely important. I know it sounds like so basic, but the reality is, is like, you wanna do more for them. You wanna give them more incentives during COVID. You wanna make them even more safe. I think that's commendable. And it's probably something that Quantside needs to learn a little bit more. Without respondents, you don't have research. Yeah, but you guys don't have this wall of not putting a face to, like it makes it anonymous. And in some ways you can, I don't know, kind of be a little bit different with the experience where somebody shows up, there's a moderator, you're mutually accountable to that experience. Sure. And I would also say more of the hesitation in research right now, Seema, is from a corporate perspective, and that's more legal than it is anything else. You know, our clients really would love to be back in facilities. We are having constant meetings, my directors are with our clients because they want to know, hey, when do you think we're gonna be semi back to normal? When do you think we're going to be able to get back to in-person research? And they're trying to make decisions on a legal level, based obviously on the numbers, the regulations, but also what we are saying, what Fieldwork, what L&E, what my company is saying to them is making them more comfortable to get back to it. But they still have long-term, I mean, most of our clients are through July at this point where they won't travel. And quite a few of them really do like to be on site because it makes them feel more in control of what's going on. You know, be in that back room and be able to pass notes to the moderators and be able to see the participants for themselves in person. You definitely miss some of that through web streaming. Thank God for web streaming. (laughs) Right. Can you imagine if we didn't have it? Yeah. But it's still just not the same. But I can say I don't think the hesitation to get back to in-person research is from the respondent perspective. Just like L&E and Fieldwork, we're finding that our show rates are absolutely beyond what they were before easily. It's not taking effort to get that to happen either. Everyone's following the safety protocols. It really is from a corporate legal perspective as to why it's a bit slower to get back to semi-normal again. And I'd like to add into that with, from the corporate perspective, what we've seen a great deal of is those travel restrictions are in place. So they're actually pivoting their research to do things very locally. So if a client is based in Cincinnati, they're going to be comfortable traveling to Cincinnati, to Columbus, to Chicago, because they're going to get in their car and drive there. They're not worried about going through an airport and getting on a plane. So, you know, we've had the good fortune of having clients based in the market's where our facilities are located. And I think that's been mutually beneficial for both l and as an organization and for them as well, because they can still conduct their research and sure they don't have the geographic distribution that they would have a year ago, but it means they don't have to pump the brakes. They can still get by until they can get out and travel again. That makes perfect sense. Yeah, that's a really good point, actually. And I think that may be where we see in-person research start to get back to normal the most is in the markets that have a lot of clients that can be there locally and travel yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> locally to the facility. So let's switch gears a little bit. So you guys all manage people. You are balancing multiple, I mean, lots of change. What are some of the challenges that you've had to manage in terms of workforce? I will, who wants to go take it first? I think more than anything, it's flexibility and really individualized support for all of our teams. I mean, we have, we're in the people business. So it's not only about caring about our respondents and clients, but our teams and making sure they feel well supported. We've gotten very used to kids and dogs and husbands and wives in the background of Zoom and just making sure that we are 
in touch with people. I think over Zoom, it's easy to, or whatever platform you communicate on, it's easy to get in and out. We all have very busy schedules, but taking the time to reach out, we say a lot, um, especially in the beginning, is like when you're feeling low, find someone that's feeling high because there will be someone that, that's feeling high and on top of the world that day. And when you're feeling on top of everything, reach out to somebody because you just never know where they're at. And so I think that individual um, relationship has been huge because the one thing does not everything works for every person to help manage everything that's going on. That's great. Yeah. And Kelly, how about you? I actually think that Erin kind of nailed that answer. I think that offering flexibility and offering support because it's no secret that mental health has struggled through the pandemic everything on our person, you know, professionally, it's been difficult to readjust. But for me, that's been the bright side, to be honest, because I can get on a shared platform call with my colleagues and they kind of lift me up and they inspire me. And it's been a great experience getting to know my colleagues on the level of we're all going through the same thing together. And you know, I think that, again, addressing just seeing the mental health repercussion that has come out of this and the attention that has come to how important that is for everyone in everyone's life. It may be temporary. It may not be. But now that we've shined a huge light on it, I hope that we see more progression on all fronts in the future. Yeah, that it's more acceptable to acknowledge it and say you might be suffering and that it's you don't get the stigma and you get the support that you need. Yeah, and I think the difference between for anyone that's coming already from a work from home situation, which our company was and is understanding that there is no escape anymore. You know, during lock, it used to be a situation where just like any other office, everyone in my company would go sit at their desk during work hours of the day. And they understood what was expected of them that day from their clients. And they worked the hours that they needed to. I don't necessarily require exact work hours because I have really responsible people. But the idea that they couldn't go anywhere produced a lack of boundaries in a way because everyone knew that everyone was always there available yeah 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 so I think that that making sure that we respected those boundaries which was also about all of the mental health that you've mentioned was a big one for us because it was really easy to overstep the lines in what we were used to expecting versus hey you're home now all the time right can you just check this yeah right exactly Right. And, you know, even though, and I am the guiltiest of this, I will tell you that um, I definitely had to back myself off because it was easy for me to send one of my directors an email of something at 11 p.m. at night, not at all expecting a reply. But guess what? They thought they needed to reply. So they'd pry themselves out of bed. And I was like, wait, this is not what I want this to be about. So even, you know, we definitely had to set some boundaries because they were being crossed a bit and all about mental health. Yeah, it's going to be interesting as we come out of this, what the repercussions will be as we all deal with it. Because I feel like as leaders, you kind of have to hold it together, right? You got to motivate, inspire, get people behind a cause. And then you step back and say, man, I feel a little bit tired. I feel a little bit exhausted. And then, you know, if you have a family or elder care or whatever, 
you got to keep going. And it's not a bad thing, but I think we'll have to acknowledge some of this stuff because I think the adrenaline has been running for 12 months and will continue to go until we get back to what we think the new normal will be. Well, and I think it's something that we can't any of us do on our own or even within a company. I'm just, I am so impressed and proud to be part of the Insights community and seeing the ways we've all come together. I feel like the phrase collaboration is the new competition couldn't ring more true of the amount of coffee talks or lunches or anything I've gone on. I feel like there's always a listening ear and someone that's really supportive and willing to hear me out, whether they're with field work or not. And so I'm really impressed and proud. And I hope that does continue as, as our calendars fill up and we're on planes and at events and here, there and everywhere. And you know what, Erin, it's funny, this collaboration is the new competition thing that everyone's talking about. It's kind of the same words that I've used always in this industry. When I became a CEO, we are all each other's clients. We all have the potential to be one another's clients. Eleni, we hire you all the time. Fieldwork, we hire you. Yeah. You guys hire us. Like it goes every direction. We all have the ability to be one another's clients. So it's hard for me to call somebody competition when I know that there's something that we can do that you guys don't necessarily do, or we just may have a market that you don't have, especially between like Eleni and Fieldwork. You know, we all hire one another. So it is more than just friendly competition. We are one another's clients. We should, it truly is collaboration and it always has been. It's just been a different kind of more flexible and creative collaboration now to lift each other up through difficult times is really what it boils down to. Yeah, I think it's just more real, right? It's more, I mean, authentic is probably an overused word, but like that wall, that kind of plexiglass that we had between us is gone. It's like, okay, this one we're competing against, this one we're working together. I wish you well, I hope you win it. And it's true. Like it's, we want each other to win. And it's not like if you win, I lose. It means my friend is winning. My, you know what I mean? It's, I don't know. That's how I feel about it. I celebrate that for colleagues who, or, you know, companies that might win something that we might not win or I might not win. Well, I think we each have a unique value proposition to add to a project or a client. And it's unique. And that's why it is. A client doesn't need my services every time. They need someone else's services at other times. And I think that I totally agree with you, Tiffany. That's something I love about the industry is that there's so many tools out there and we can each support each other. So here's a little bit of an elephant in the room. We are all women and we're agreeing to this point of view. We're leaders. Do you think that this is unique to women? That's a very interesting question you've asked, Seema. (laughs) (laughs) I guess the thing that's coming to my mind and something that I think women are, I mean, typically better at is these like soft relationships, I guess, the, the get a coffee and chat. And I think that's what leads to this, like, we can all support each other because we don't just know each other because of, I don't know, our LinkedIn profile or our sales numbers, but we know each other step. And I've met plenty of men that can can take that next step. The same. Yes. But I think as women, oftentimes that like, that's my go-to. Most of the time when I make a connection on LinkedIn, the first thing isn't like, here's all the things we do. It's like, Hey, let me just like, I want to learn more about you and tell you more about me. And Oftentimes, I don't even talk about field work or what I do. And sometimes I don't even actually know what the person does for business because we've been talking about yoga for the past 30 minutes. So I do think women are typically better at that. And so maybe that's kind of an answer. (laughs) I think it also depends. And, you know, this might be a little 
edgy and risque to say, but it, it also depends on who the man is and his level of toxic masculinity, because those toxic men are going to be more power driven, more hungry. They're going to be more competitive and more me, me, me. You don't typically see that behavior with women, hence the reason it's called toxic masculinity. <laughs> so I think that there are you know, plenty of men out there who do not have that quality. And I see a lot of them within our industry that do not have that quality. And again, I will promote Brett Watkins as being someone who relies on the women on his team and he trusts us and he knows that we're good decision makers. So I really think it all depends. I think Aaron's right that in general, women just tend to be a little more collaborative, a little more friendly and, you know, talking about yoga or talking about having a Prosecco after work. So I think it really depends on the individuals involved. And I think in this specific situation through the pandemic, oftentimes I don't want to like sit here and gender specify anything, but oftentimes I'm, I'm finding that it is the women that are having to juggle more. They're having to juggle their full-time job. They're having to juggle the homeschooling. They just have more of a patience for it is really what it boils down to. And because they are having to juggle more, I think that we as women have to lift them up and support them too. Yeah. I agree. And really think about that within our own organizations. You know, it's, I know more about people's families right now than I really meant to know, but it's nice. Like, it's nice to understand the struggles that are going on with people and outside of my business, actually. And I definitely feel the pressure and the struggles of women. And I do hope that we're all keeping our eyes open for that and, and making sure that we're lifting one another up. I've really enjoyed speaking with you. Thank you for joining me today. You guys are doing an amazing job. Great. On being resilient, being proactive and being positive. Hats off to you guys. Thank you, Seema. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank you guys for a great conversation. Thank you. Now more than ever, there's nothing like in-person research to deliver the voice and the views of the consumer. Face-to-Face -face delivers on empathy, captures nuanced body language, and creates personal connections that can be explored further. All focus group facilities are committed to safe and socially distanced protocols to keep our teams, our clients, and our participants safe. People are engaged and excited to share new emotions, new buying patterns, and new ways that they're seeing the world. Clients need this deep insight to make the best possible decisions at this critical time. We're here, we're focused, and we're ready. For in-person research, it's time to embrace the research space. Thank you for tuning in to Data Guru's podcast. This episode has ended but your exploration doesn't have to. Head over to www.dataguruspodcast.com and access all the resources and links mentioned in today's show. You'll also find bonus content available to our podcast listeners exclusively. exclusively. That's www.dataguruspodcast.com. Until next time, be bold, be brave, and be fearless.